Good morning. Our scripture this morning is from the Inclusive Bible, Luke chapter 6, verses 20 through 26. Looking at the disciples, Jesus said, You who are poor are blessed, for the reign of God is yours. You who hunger now are blessed, for you'll be filled. You who weep now are blessed, for you'll laugh. You are blessed when people hate you, when they scorn and insult you and spurn your name as evil because of the chosen one. On the day they do so, rejoice and be glad. Your reward will be great in heaven, for their ancestor treated the prophets the same way. But woe to you rich, for you are now receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are full, for you'll go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you'll weep in your grief. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for their ancestors treated the false prophets in the same way. Ancient words for our present day consideration. And notice there's a sign-up sheet. Um, we got three people to help with the iftar dinner, so in a, in a good group. So um, we have that. This has got the security team, ushers, greeters, hospitality. So if you have some time and you want to, if you have any questions or whatever, if you'll sign this and leave your contact information, then we'll reach out. We're slowly going to get back to, to normal. Not that we were ever normal, but... Uh, each week we're getting two more people, you know, things. Uh, but it's so wonderful to uh, hear the laughter of children. It's wonderful to have you here, all of you. Um, it's just like, a, I'm not objective, but a very special community. And um, it's so wonderful to be back. People are talking about how passionate my preaching is lately. And it's, you try preaching to a cell phone. For two years, <laughs> especially I, I, I get energy from from you. So it's um, it always feels like a conversation to me. You don't get a lot of words in, but um, you're emoting more than you realize. And I can tell when something's not clear. I can tell when something is, um, you know, touching home. So it's it's wonderful to be back with everybody. Um, we're looking at, through the Easter season, we're looking at a series called The Way. And what happened was, I just, I kept hearing the despair that so many people feel, just the fatigue and all of the, the cruelty, all the things that are happening, the sort of insanity that has gripped our nation. And it occurred to me that that's what Jesus was talking about. What happened with the traditional church was they wanted to take the politics out because they wanted to support empire. They didn't want verses about woe to the rich. Um, and not a lot has changed. What you saw just now, the words of Jesus, you're never going to hear as a theme of a televangelist 
but it's not. It's Jesus is an embarrassment to their traditional church. And it's that apolitical message of Jesus that has nothing to say to the world. It's all about someplace else. Something that happened 2,000 years ago with people who are dead. And, uh, you know, you won't go to hell if you believe it. Give generously. See you next time. There is a way to get through times like this. I mean, each of you is in a different situation. I see Ilda Nivan back there. Can you imagine if, if your, your fate were so threatening that you didn't know if you would be deported from one day to the next? That you come to a nation that has a Statue of Liberty saying, you know, I'm the mother of exiles. Send me your tired, your weary. And you find they don't believe that at all. I talked last week a little bit about toxic nostalgia. And I think that's the heart of the Trump movement, trying to get back to an America that never was. And it's white people, it's men, it's Christians who have a false memory. And it props up their sense of self-worth and superiority. Jesus called people out of that world and into a new world, which is exciting and frightening. The Beatitudes are essential for understanding everything else Jesus is going to talk about. But they're very disturbing because they reframe what it means to be happy. From what the world says to what your human heart says. When Jesus talked about the world, he wasn't talking about nature. He was talking about this kind of cultural trance where we sell each other out, where we feel it's so vital for us to be successful, but our definition of success is brutal and lonely. And we're too afraid to slow down to experience that, that pain that's within us. So before anything else happens, Jesus takes the disciples away from the city, away from the church, away from their business, sets them out in wildflowers, birds flying overhead, and then says these words, blessed are the poor. Luke gives a different version than Matthew. Matthew has eight. Luke only has four. Matthew is told on a mountain like Moses. Luke is on a plane. Luke is the socialist, the anarchist. That's the political message. Matthew talks about happiness is blank. Luke makes it very personal. He's not talking to everybody. He's talking to a small group of people who are willing to live this out and to share this way, this path that he's talking about. It is Luke that adds the woes, which if you think it's criticizing you personally, you're missing the point. Because what he's really trying to say is you're not as happy as you think you are if you've sold out your heart to take up the rewards of this sick, inhuman culture.
but we don't know it ourselves. We're, we're trapped in trances. And fear can become overwhelming, and we clutch at what we're told we should be. And we're afraid anybody will ever see what we really are, who we really are. So the Beatitudes reframe what happiness means. They ask us the most important question we could ask in life, and we're not usually taught that, at least not in the church. What is it that makes you happy? What is happiness? See, if we don't ask that question, we can spend our whole lives chasing after trophies that mean nothing to us when we get them. And that's a tragedy. Jesus isn't criticizing everyone. Uh, there was a very corny preacher a few years back, Robert um, Schuler, Robert Schuler, And he had all kinds of low corny kind of sayings, and he said it's the Beatitudes, not the do attitudes, which is corny, but he's correct. This isn't telling you what you should do. This is introducing you to the true topography of your own heart. This is who you are. This is what makes your heart blossom and unfold. This, this is what truly makes us happy. And he's going to start with the negatives because if you can put the foundation of your life based on the worst possible times, there'll be nothing that life can throw against you that will cost you your happiness and your peace and your self-worth. If you build it on what comes sometimes, you're going to live on a very shaky foundation. If you can find your happiness when you failed, when you've blown everything, we're going to see that when your reputation is shot. If you can find your self-worth and your happiness there, nothing life throws at you is going to be able to rob you. So let's look at this and see if you agree. But before I start, again, this is a radical, revolutionary message of, of a, a, a transformative love for the world. You're probably not going to find this in 99% of the churches. They may read the words, but they're not going to call you to the revolution that Jesus is calling you to, which is sometimes over against the church, which is sometimes over against your country, which is sometimes over against your friends and your family. But it's the greatest gift of love you have to give the world. And Jesus wants you to have confidence in that. Uh, who wrote, um, it's Kurt Vonnegut, I was blanking on the name. Getting back to two services now, and my little bandwidth is, runs out a little early. But Kurt Vonnegut pointed out that the, the Christian church throws these tantrums to get the Ten Commandments in all sorts of public places. But you never see them doing that for the Beatitudes. Right? Nobody wants this message in a capitalist culture that wants to colonize the world and not be called out for it. That wants to have a patriarchy where men are elevated. This, this is radical revolutionary stuff. And it finds the worth of every human being over and against the various hierarchies and things. 
um, this is Tony um, Campello. Is that how you say his name? Campello. He says, if we were to set out to establish a religion in polar opposite, in polar opposition to the Beatitudes Jesus taught, it would look strikingly similar to the pop Christianity that has taken over the airwaves of North America. Does that make sense? Whatever you're going to see on television probably isn't talking about this. The preachers you're going to find on the news and in television sitting next to the president probably don't believe this. Again, they'll have it there. They'll have it somewhere, you know, as a kind of poem. What does he mean when he says, blessed are the poor? We're going to look at the four things. It's going to have to be pretty quick, though. I have to move through it quick. Clearly, Jesus doesn't mean that it's better to be poor than to be able to get your needs met. We know that because he's telling us to take care of the poor. And he's calling us to care for, to lift people out of poverty. The problem is economic inequality. If everybody was rich, that'd be great. Right? I mean, the problem isn't having things, having a house, having a car. Um, The problem is when we do that and we just keep adding to that. And other people aren't able to do that. So when Matthew preaches this, he, he adds, blessed are the poor in spirit. And I think that's, that's helpful a little bit. Uh, I think we need both of those. It, it really is about poor people and, and putting those core in your heart. But also, it's about solidarity with the poor. If you gave up everything you have to the poor, you'd just be another poor person, right? I mean, you're, you're not going to put a dent in the problem. The culture has to change. There has to be a revolution of love that redefines what happiness means, what success means in this culture. So the church has a message to send out, but that's not the message they want to talk about. Where does your happiness come from? That's what this sermon is, is, is challenging us to think about. What is it that truly makes you happy? Versus what is it that makes you think you're happy for a short period of time and then makes you miserable for a very long time? So Jesus is saying, blessed are you if you have found your worth even though you don't have anything. See, that's hard to learn when you're successful. When you're successful, you think you are your career. You think you are your stuff. Only failure can teach you that there's something deeper than that. Unless you're just really wise or really lucky to have somebody else help you teach it. Probably failure is how you're going to learn that. Or having your heart broken at somebody else's poverty. Seeing other people that work twice as hard as you do for 10 times less. People that work at the beginning of the week to the end of the week, and they still can't pay their medical bills. That should break our hearts. And what Jesus is saying is you're a happier person in the long run if it does break your heart than if you're successfully able to shut down that insight. So he says, happy are you if you realize that your worth is intrinsic you're born with it, and success adds nothing to that, and failure reduces nothing from it. 
It's only in the warped lens of capitalism. And that's had many names through the centuries. That's just our particular version of it. I think I'm going to do a series on critical religion theory because what critical race theory is step out of the system and look at what, you know, commodifying human beings in combination with, with racism has done, how it's codified in the law. But it comes from Marxist theory. You don't have to become a Marxist to realize. It's like you don't have to become a worshiper of Darwin to realize you can't really argue with the idea that the species has evolved. And you can't really argue if you're a human being with the insight that Marx brought to the world that people are more important than things. And so a culture that bases itself, an economy that bases itself, a nation that bases itself on property rights will have to buy consequence, deny human rights, right? One of those is the context of the other. You either say, okay, we'll have some capitalism to, to make human rights work, or you're going to say, we will let people starve if that's what keeps the economy healthy. We will let smaller and smaller groups of people own everything. We have to choose. And what Jesus is saying is you're not as happy as you think you are if you're on that bus that rewards you with trophies and things but impoverishes you in your human relationships and your own realization that your humanity is the ultimate worth on this planet. Every being, every animal, every plant. It's like there's no money amount that you can measure yourself by. To put yourself on that scale is madness. To ask the question, can we afford to save the planet ecologically? It's insane. But that is the capitalist uh, uh, framework. That's what Marx called false consciousness. You're living in, a, living in a fake world. It's not that people are bad. So Jesus is waking us up. First, on poverty. And then he talks about hunger. Blessed are those who are hungry. Clearly, he wanted us to feed the hungry. If you're hungry, clearly he wanted you to have bread. But I think what he's saying is, blessed are you if your hunger or your sickness has taught you that your needs are more important to you than your wants. Have you ever noticed that when successful people get old and they meet together and they tell the stories, it's always when they were struggling at the beginning that are the most exciting stories? Have you ever noticed that? When couples could barely make it work, They tell the most exciting stories. And then after everything gets safe and you get satisfied, all of a sudden your heart starts getting hungry. You're able to satisfy yourself in every other way than what makes you feel alive. That hunger that we have is important. The way Matthew put it is, Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
Better translation is hunger and thirst for justice, which means that you take care of your own hunger, but also the hunger of everyone else in the world. That your hunger becomes a strength, your passion. During COVID, I think a lot of us lost that hunger. I know I've gained a little bit. I've never had experience before of food being such an important part of the day. I understand my mother much better now than I did at the time because when we'd wake up, she'd ask us what we want for breakfast. And while we're still eating, what do you want for lunch? And then she'd describe all the options that were possible and how she'd cook them and this kind of thing. I understand that now because in a flat topography, when nothing is happening, food is really, you know, those are the mountain peaks kind of thing. So we may have to, somebody's got to push the wheelbarrows that we're going to be in. Um, But fortunately, those two years are up. Um, Blessed are you if you realize what really satisfies your heart. Because there's a lot of things that satisfy your habits, your addictions, and by yours, I mean ours. But only a a smaller group of, of things satisfy your heart, the hunger that's inside of you. Jesus is asking you to listen to that and to realize that you're not as happy as you think if you're satisfied in things that don't feed your heart. Then I'm going to try to pick up the pace a little bit. Um, Blessed are those who weep. I believe Carl Jung was the one who said that um, much of the evil we see in the world and cruelty is uh, unprocessed grief. Again, I think that's what we're seeing with the Trump movement. It's time to grieve and let go of these horrible oppressions that our happiness was based on. And we're just dealing with the surface. We've got sweatshops all over the country. We've got colonies that we don't take responsibility for because we don't necessarily send troops there all the time unless they try to nationalize their resources. I think the slap this week, I was so amazed. I don't have a television set. I don't, I haven't been to movies since COVID. And so I really didn't have any idea what was going on. But the next day, my Facebook, the, the feed was filled with just fury. Everybody had to take a side. Everybody had such passion for the slap. They didn't know if he knew about it for the joke. They didn't know that. They didn't know anything. But they were furious, and they felt this incredible need to choose a side. See, that tells you something, right? Those are the moments that that you realize that there's a whole lot going on than the slap. Usually when couples fight, it's more violent, the less that's the real issue, right? When you're arguing about who's going to wash the dishes, but it's really about self-respect and feeling like you're honored and valued. Those, that little sink of dishes can tear everything apart if we don't feel the grief that's in us. It's so much easier to feel anger than grief. We'd much rather think about the slap than Ukraine, than the environment, than the things that are tearing us apart that are going to kill us if we don't deal with them. 
So what Jesus is saying, I believe, is let yourself grieve. Find the tears that you couldn't find for Afghanistan. Let them come to the surface. That unprocessed grief is killing us, it's poisoning us. The grief you feel for Americans of color who don't know if they're going to be able to vote. The immigrants who are vilified for seeking refuge here. All kinds of people that are, call, uh, that are lied about. And the only way out of that is to grieve. Have you ever felt miserable and you cried and you felt so much better? There, there's a truth here. Romero, the great archbishop from El Salvador that was assassinated by American-backed troops, once said that there only, there's some things that can only be seen through eyes that have cried. Sometimes when we won't grieve, it puts us in a trance. And letting ourselves melt, letting ourselves be human, rediscovering that part of our heart that hurts, but it will heal if we'll let it. So Jesus said, blessed are those that weep. I think that's saying, blessed are you uh, if you'll feel your own pain, because that will unlock the empathy for others that maybe you can't always feel. And then the last thing that I can find in this verse, I will invite you to find more and share that if you want to. Um, Strange last passage, blessed are you if people hate you, tell all kinds of false things about you. Is that the Christianity you were taught? Right, you had like the Christian athletes that do the, you know, the things and all of the celebrities that were Christians. What about the Christianity that is for losers only? People who care about each other more than, than, than popularity. One of the most important sermons I ever gave was when we were, you know, struggling with the LGBTQ things. And one day I just realized, okay, I'm really sitting on the fence. I mean, I'm saying all kinds of things, but everybody knows I'm not going to do anything. Right? Everybody knows I'm not staking my job on this. I'm just a liberal talking. When I finally got it right, I was in trouble and stayed in trouble for a long time after that. And it was at first a scary, painful time. But when you're on trial in the Presbyterian church and you're preaching about Easter season, it comes alive. Because that fear of what other people think keeps us from speaking our truth sometimes. And what I realize is you can't really control your reputation. All you really control is your character. And so what this is saying is care more about your character than your reputation. Love people enough to tick them off. If that's what it takes for you to be authentic. You don't know you're right. You could be wrong. 
They may argue with you, and you, and you, they, you learn something from them. But if you don't say your truth, you'll never know. We don't know if we're right, but we do know if we're being honest most of the time. It's just really hard. And we all have family and friends who, you know, and, and there's the teachable moment. So if, if somebody's Jeffrey Dahmer, I'm not saying to Bishop Romero also talked about that. He said, even when they call us mad, when they call us subversives and communists, and that's what they call people that work for the people, Venezuela, indigenous people that want to control their economy and not have the, you know, rich Americans come down and control everything. By definition, they're called communists. And then we undermine them and we do all of these uh, economic sanctions and things and say, see, I told you socialism didn't work. You wouldn't have to kill people if it didn't work, right? You wouldn't panic like that every time the word comes up. What does it mean that the oligarchs of the world all agree that economic justice is a bad thing? Right? Think about that. If you don't know the way out of this problem, maybe it's because you're listening to your oppressor and not to your heart. Maybe there is a way out of this. And it may not, and maybe not in your lifetime, but you can live a really rich, full life living for this. The same people were in charge of Israel when Jesus was born as when he died. Maybe not the same individuals, but Rome was in control, but he changed everything. Last thing. I said that was the last thing, so I was lying. Don't trust your preacher. That's the lesson today. Those were the points. This is the summary. There is a way to get through times like this with our hearts intact. Jesus is teaching us the way. That's what the church was called at one time. We tune our hearts to reality, not to the culture, not to society. So when we see nature, that's of ultimate value. It's not just property. It's, it's, it's our planet. It's our home. And then other people, we don't look at them within an economic system. We build the economic system for the people. The Beatitudes reframe what it means to be happy. Jesus emphasizes the worst conditions a human being can be under. Not to say that's how you should live all the time but just to realize that even in those times, there is happiness. This is my summary of this version of the Beatitudes, and then we'll have a minute of silence for you to think how you would say these words. You are not really happy if you have satisfied yourself with things your heart doesn't need. But you are already on the path to happiness if you hunger and thirst to end human suffering. You are not really happy if you ignore the world's grief, but you are on the path to happiness if your broken heart has opened you to your kindred ties with all. You are not really happy if your relationships are based on hiding who you are so you can fit in, but you are already on the path to happiness if you love people enough to risk losing them by advocating for the love that does justice. Well, this is my understanding of this 
classic passage. We invite you now to a moment for you to reflect upon uh, how you would interpret. 